has always been this phrase that's been floating around and I don't really know the origin of the phrase, nor do I particularly care about the origin of the phrase. And the phrase is, one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter. Now, what does that actually mean, right? Well, it means that, you know, politics, geopolitics, conflict, all of these things are incredibly complex, as are all humans. We are very complex creatures. And the things that we do reflect on this fact. There is no single absolute in this world, apart from a few minor things, such as we need to drink water, otherwise we will die, you know, little things like that. But regarding human nature and regarding the constructs of man, these things are not absolutist. There is a lot of subjection between them and there's a lot of nuance for them, right? And the phrase one man's terrorist is another man's freedom fighter essentially means that what you may consider to be an extreme, violent, bloody, barbaric point of view may to the other person or an opposing side be considered a last resort or even something to be celebrated, something that is dignified, a way to fight back against something, right? Now, I was watching clips of the war in Afghanistan, not the recent ones in the past two decades, but the ones from uh, 1980 onwards, you know, when the Soviets invaded Afghanistan, I believe they invaded in 1979, if my GCSE history uh, knowledge hasn't gone to shit. And they stayed there, messing things up for uh, 10 years or so, eventually leaving, and then the Soviet Union collapsed promptly afterwards. Well, those clips, right, were parroted around the world. These clips showed Afghan militiamen who were rightfully, in my opinion, shooting down Soviet helicopters with US-made weapons and whatnot. They were fighting back against what they perceived to be as oppression. And it was oppression. There are many clips, you can find them online, of Soviet helicopters going over to Afghan villages and dumping the bombs on those villages because they had no other targets. So there's just one specific clip where there's an Afghan man um, pointing a surface-to-air missile, I think. Or was it a machine gun? I'm not too sure anymore. My memory has been slipping lately. He's shooting at this helicopter, right? And this helicopter understands that targeting the actual militiamen would be too difficult. So what the helicopter does... Soviet helicopter is it it flies over to an Afghan village nearby and it starts firing on it, starts dropping bombs, starts shooting. Inevitably someone was probably killed and the people shooting at the helicopter most likely had family there. And in the eyes of the Soviets, these militiamen were most definitely considered terrorists because they had brokered a peace deal with the socialist Afghan government at the time. Um the politics was very complex, but there were many coups at this time in Afghanistan. And after the monarchy was deposed, a socialist government uh, took power. And this government invited the Soviet Union, invited is in quotation marks, hypothetical of course, to pacify what they considered a insurgency. And an insurgent is a word for, well, it can be used for both a terrorist, militia, freedom fighter, anything. It's just a, basically, at its very core, a man with a gun and a cause. An organized cause, something that isn't just down to an irrational man shooting up a school like we see in America so often. That's not an insurgent, that's a mentally ill man. An insurgent is very deliberate. They work for a cause and a plan. Now, the reason I'm talking about the Afghan war from all those decades ago is because in this war, that media was posted around everywhere on the news, on clips. We don't really remember it because we didn't have phones back then, so. It didn't have the presence in our lives as it did um, all the way back then, right? Like now, as we're seeing in Ukraine, 
that's everywhere because of the way media has evolved. We can see us at every single point of the day. It just clogs up our feeds. But back then, everything that was seen about Afghanistan and the Soviet Union was through the news and various other forms of media. There was a Rambo movie, and if you don't know Rambo, it's an American action thing movie where this big old American guy he goes over to some villages and shoots the baddies and whatnot. Well, one of those films ended with the words, this film was dedicated to the British Mujahideen fighters of Afghanistan. And I'm getting to my point, so don't worry, alright, don't get lost. This film said very explicitly, oh, we support this cause, right? Now, the Soviets at this time would have considered these men terrorists. And the West considered these men freedom fighters, brave, Mujahideen, freedom fighters, you know, it was a glorious thing to be named. Freedom fighters, nothing more American than dying for freedom, no? We all love freedom. No one loves it more than an American. Well, a few years down the line, the Mujahideen changes. It becomes the Taliban after several civil wars in Afghanistan. And now we consider the Taliban a terrorist organization, right? Now, I'm not making any points about my opinions on the Taliban. I think that they're quite terrible. You know, I don't believe in massacring people just for the cause of it, right? But nowadays, we view the Taliban as terrorists. But their roots was in that organization, the Mujahideen, which wasn't really a formal organization, but the, the ideology was there, right, in its very early days. Freedom against the oppressor, against imperialism, against socialism. These were the founding things that made the Mujahideen what it was, which was a collection of different militias across the country. But that collection of militias became larger militias. It coalesced, it came together like gas comes together in nebulae in space to form stars. Or how clumps of cells come together to form tissue. They became militias. And some of these militias we are allies with, or were allies with until they were wiped out by the Taliban, and other ones we were not allies with. Such as the Taliban, which is actually the government wing of a whole different thing, right? So you have the Taliban, and then their militia wing is Al-Qaeda. Al-Qaeda is the ones, or they are the ones, who did 9-11, so to say. So, not the greatest um, reputation they have, isn't it? But, Osama bin Laden, the man who was actually, you know, the leader of Al-Qaeda for many, many years, there's a photo of him. Go online and search up Osama bin Laden USA rocket launcher, and it should pop up, alright? And it's a picture of this man. This terrorist who was the most wanted for many years and was killed by the USA. Rightfully so, in my opinion. And he's holding a US-made surface air handheld missile launcher, whatever the technicality of these things is. It was holding a rocket launcher, a bazooka, used for shooting down helicopters, right? Back then, Osama bin Laden, he was a brave Mujahideen fighter. This film was dedicated to the brave Mujahideen fighters of Afghanistan, right? He was one of them. He was a guy that film was dedicated to. Isn't it interesting how our opinions on who is and isn't right changes with the interest of our governments, right? Because what did change over these years? Of course, 9-11 happened, but many would argue that it wasn't really anyone's fault, right? I mean, at least not Al-Qaeda's fault, because the guys who did 9-11, they were solely nationals. And the Taliban, of course, were hiding some of these nationals in Afghanistan, which made the US government very angry, right? Because 
You know, there were criminals, there were terrorists who were hiding these people, but they weren't Afghans. So why exactly did we proceed to invade a country over Saudi Arabian nationals, all right? Surely, in this case, the ones you want to evade are Saudi Arabians. But that's besides the point. Because my point is, is that what is and isn't a terrorist is extremely subjective, right? Now, I'm going to speak to you now as a Muslim. Which is not something that I do very often. I believe in keeping things secular on podcasts like this. But in the modern day, in the modern climate, it is impossible to keep things secular. Being a Muslim is part of my identity to an extent that is so, so great I cannot possibly begin to explain in any form of podcast, right? It's been with me since birth and before that and after that. So we have seen, as a Muslim community, in the modern age, that we are being increasingly marginalised in certain parts of the world. We are becoming scapegoats for many. We serve a certain political will in many organisations. And now I'm choosing my words very carefully. In certain organisations, we may be used as a poster child. We may be used as diversity. There was an ad for the British Army a while ago. I remember it, I was a kid. It aired on the television. It showed a Muslim man praying on a prayer mat in some rocky mountain area during the war in Afghanistan, which was obviously meant to reflect on the fact that this Muslim soldier was praying in Afghanistan and his fellow soldier comrades were being very supportive of it. They, I think they turned off the radio on this thing anyways. It got a lot of backlash. And for all the wrong reasons, right? Because there was a lot of racist gammons talking about how, oh, we can't be letting them into the army and whatnot, right? Well, I believe the right reason that it should have gotten backlash for is because why the fuck would we be sending our own Muslim brethren to shoot our own Muslim brethren, right? In Islam, there is the idea of the Ummah, right? Which is the united Muslim community, the brotherhood. Everybody is the same. We're all Muslims. We all die the same. We will all return to the soil, be eaten by worms, decay, rot, and whatnot. We'll find ourselves in the day of judgment. We'll be judged. The same as everyone else, according to what we did with our lives, according to fairness and whatnot, and our sins and our good deeds. So why on earth was there an ad promoting the Muslims to go kill Muslims? The West has eroded our identity for a very long time. It's part of the uh, liberal agenda, right? I sound like Donald Trump saying that. And I don't want to sound like Donald Trump saying that. But, you know... Regarding liberals, there's a certain thing you got to know about them. They're not your friend, all right? My Muslim brother or sister, liberals are not your friend. They play off this, this aura of being extremely accepting and they want you to be part of them and they want you to understand that they are your friend. You can trust them, right? Because they're liberal. They're not one of them reds or one of them fascists or whatnot. They're not going to do nothing. They're just innocent, centrist liberals. But the liberal is the most dangerous out of all of them. The liberal will disarm you. The fascists may try to kill you, right? But they're not going to disarm you because they know they're going to kill you anyways. You at least got a fighting chance against a fascist. The communists, well, they believe in equal arms for everyone. So they're not your enemy either. But the liberal, they want you unarmed. And when you're unarmed, it becomes much more dangerous for you to do anything, right? I'm not talking about physical weapons either. I'm talking about your beliefs, your ideology, your religion. They have turned Islam into this 
this strange, strange mix of ideologies. They want you to be peaceful. They want you to be pacified. They want you to believe that the extreme, quote-unquote extreme ideas in Islam are not yours. It belongs to fringe, it belongs to fringe groups, all right? And you're not part of that fringe group. But the ideas that they clump into this ideology of fringe groups, right? A lot of them make perfect sense. Why shouldn't you be able to defend against yourselves, right? Why shouldn't you be able to look at someone who's attacking you and be like, no, you cannot do that, I'm going to kill you now, right? That is very, very much so just. In all three Abrahamic religions, you are allowed to defend yourselves in self-defense. Makes sense. This is what jihad is. Jihad, lesser jihad, which is the one about self-defense of physical harm. You should be defending yourselves. To kill over and die is stupid. It is cowardice. It is probably a sin if you follow certain teachings. But this word is so scary, right? It's a scary, scary word. So the media and the liberal media and liberals online have made us stop using it, right? No more jihad. Pacify yourselves. Otherwise, you're a terrorist. You don't want to be like one of the terrorists now, do you? That wouldn't be right. But you are not a terrorist, right? You're not. Believing that you have a right to self-defense does not make you a terrorist. That makes you a reasonable human, right? Let's take this ideal white middle-class liberal, the English white middle-class liberal. A fascinating specimen, are they not? Now you take this person, you strip them of the dignity, you strip them of the financial stability, you strip them of the homeland. Maybe the home was bombed to smithereens or maybe it was colonized and for hundreds of years it was deprived. All right. Take all of this away from them. And what will you have left? All right. You'll have a broken shell of a human being. You'll have someone at the very least who doesn't like where they live and doesn't like what their place has become. Right. In many regards, you know, they may have some hatred towards the world around them. They may think, this world kind of sucks. I want to change it. I have feelings towards these people because they sorted out my country in a certain way. I don't want this to be the way it is. So, naturally, I would understand if this white liberal took up arms and they took up some form of self-defense and they started saying things and they started spreading ideology in a certain way because they were tired of being oppressed. No one wants to be oppressed. Not even you. My good old dear listener, you don't want to be oppressed now, do you? Of course you don't. Don't be silly. So, if you can understand that anybody who has had their rights completely stripped away, the dignity stripped away, and I put big emphasis on dignity, because colonialism took away a lot of our collective dignity as the Muslim community and the South Asian community and every community that was inflicted with this great, great pain and torture. Europeans, Turkish, doesn't matter who it was, colonist, imperialist, came through and took away our dignity. To take away one's dignity is a grave, grave thing to do. Sin, most likely, depends on what religion you follow. If you have none, then you may understand that it's immoral, right? So, if this liberal without dignity and under oppression fights back, what are they exactly? What's the word we use for them? Does it depend on your political beliefs? No, no it doesn't. I believe as regular human beings, we should strive as perfectly as possible to be 
as apolitical as possible because ideology is poison. There is a difference between ideology and morality and personal codes and codes of conduct and beliefs and whatnot. But ideology, political ideology, is a disgusting thing. Some may argue it's a necessary evil against many things, right? Because we need to have some sort of rule book to follow in state making and governments and whatnot. But ideology as a whole, poison, avoid it. So let's look at this liberal from an objective point of view. What are they? Unfortunately, right, they're a freedom fighter. They're fighting for nothing more than their own freedom. Maybe even could call them a dignity fighter or an anti-imperialist or just someone who's fighting back against oppression. Now, really, let's be honest, right? There is very little difference between the soft-faced white liberal and the scary brown man with a beard and crown, right? That scary man is exactly the same as that white liberal who has had his rights taken away. He has had his rights taken away. His country has been bombed into shit. Economic hardship has befallen his country. His family has likely been torn apart by war and decades of impoverishment or whatever. There are no opportunities for him left in this country. If he stays, he will most likely die or get a very, well, meaningless job and may struggle to make ends meet. He could move out of the country and go to a different country, but he will never be accepted, right? Because as a brown man, you go to a white country, all right, and you will never integrate. They want you to believe that you can be naturalized, that you can integrate, but it's not possible if you have dark skin, right? Or skin that is any shade lighter than white. And why is that? You may be saying, or the liberals might be saying, oh, that's not true, that's not true, you can become part of this country. It's fucking bullshit, mate, right? Let me tell you why. If our Eastern European friends, our immigrant brethren, they come to this country, they can stay here, right? And they settle. The first generation will face a lot of racism and prejudice because they're Eastern European. The Yobs, the Gammons, the white fascists, they would be like, oh, you're not one of us, get out of our country. Brexit means Brexit, whatnot. Second generation, the children will live in memory of what happened to the parents. They will be raised watching this happen to their parents, all right? And they will still be considered Eastern European. Third generation, Maybe things start to change, right? The accents change, the way they dress change, the lifestyle changes. They may appear more outwardsly British, and they may accept this English or British identity because they are white. They pass as English or British, right? If you can pass as one of them, you are one of them. But us brown people, right? Bangladeshis, Indians, Pakistanis, Afghanis, all of the Middle East, none of us. We cannot pass as white, no matter what we do, unless we literally bleach our skin, which some of us do actually do that, right? Don't do that, by the way, you fucking melt. You're not one of them. Unless you physically remove the brownness in your skin, you will never integrate, because no matter how many generations you go down, no matter how white you sound, no matter what you do, even if you go to the pubs and the work meetings and whatnot, you'll always have brown skin, and someone will always say, where are you really from? Alright, could be five generations down, but if you got brown skin, you're not English or British. So what are you fighting for, my friend, right? What do you believe in? Alright, be careful who you call a terrorist and who you call a freedom fighter. A terrorist is someone who, in my opinion, is sponsored by the government to cause terror. That's what terrorist is, they cause terror. 
it's conspiracy territory now, right? But it's not unheard of for the Western intelligence agencies, CIA and whatnot, to send teams into other countries to create chaos. The CIA, they have openly admitted to this. Many coups in South America, Latin America, sponsored by them. Why do we think that the Middle East, South Asia, is immune to this? Why do we think that? There is no reason to think this. Everything that we have seen in history can apply to us too. We have seen the rise of fascism in Europe once already, right? It was very ugly. Six million Jews died. Many millions more also died in various ways for various reasons. None of it was just. It can happen again. There is no reason it won't happen again. Liberalism is this disease. In the 1920s in Europe, there was a very liberal air going on, right? It's time to change. People will change. And change is scary, though, right? Change can be very scary to the people who savour the old times. Power. There was status quo. Rich people, they like their things where they are. Who wouldn't, right? If you had billions of pounds and no morals, you'd want to keep it that way, wouldn't you? So when people start coming through and they start saying, let's change things, they get very protective of the things that they have. 1920s, things were changing against them. The rise of communism in the Eastern Bloc. In the West, the rise of fascism followed in the 1930s. Benito Mussolini, Adolf Hitler, an attempt by Oswald Mosley in England. Of course, mostly failed, but the other two didn't. And we had a war and genocides. My Muslim brothers and sisters, in the coming decades, you will have to make a very, very grand decision, right? If the unthinkable was to happen again, who would your allegiances be with? Because you could abandon your faith, everything about your country, your entire culture, you could get rid of it. You could say, dignity is important to me, and you could just try to integrate your best. You will have many white friends who are lovely people to you. You will eat their food. You will stay in contact with your family, of course, as well. But for all things considered, you will be whitewashed and you will abandon your faith and whatnot. But when that day comes, or that time comes, the people who come for you won't think to ask about the nuances that you have, right? They won't think... Oh, so does this man go to the pub? Oh, what beer does he drink? Oh, does this prefer Smirnoff or Grey Goose? He won't ask that sort of stuff, right? He's going to look at you. He's going to look up and down you. He's going to see the brown skin and load you into a fucking truck and ship you off to some camp and there you will live and there you will die. Potentially, of course. This is all hypothetical. So, I say always be ready for the hypothetical. Always be ready for the unthinkable. If things go to shit, don't choose to see your friends and your brethren, your old brethren as terrorists. See them as the freedom fighters they are. Because history will not be kind to those who fuck up. Not be kind at all. Morality will always win. People will look back. One man's terrorist will become another man's freedom fighter. I need a fucking drink of water. Bye-bye.